بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وبارك على الأشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين النبي محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعد والحمد لله we go on to our third lesson in this series of lessons regarding the book of Umdat al-Fiqh by Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi and uh, going through some explanations of this book and last week we began the chapter of Tahara now last week we began the chapter of Tahara purification and the first thing we mentioned was that the majority of the books of Fiqh begin with this particular chapter in the Tahara. Why? Why do majority of books of Fiqh now? Sony was collected to it and? Then so Masail, Naam and? It's the importance, but something, so the, the fact that it has many Messiah, that's one thing, but something else as well. So this chapter by itself because of the Messiah, but it is what? A condition of Salah. So, we are no doubt, we understand that the Salah itself is the most important of the Ibadat. Now, it's the most important of the actions of Ibadat. However, the Salah has conditions. From those conditions is Tahara. And Tahara purification has the most amount of um, chapters in, regard, in relation to it. Or Muslim, also a Masail, Fiqh Masail, and the likes of that. And Ahkam relating to it. Now, thereafter, we went on to discuss the chapter pertaining to uh, Al Ma, any water, or Mia, the different types of waters. And how many different types of water are there? <laughs> now there's a difference now some say two some say three hence why everyone's saying two and three now and what are the so if you say two then what are the two types of water tohor and nejis so what is what is water which is regarded as being tohor so it's pure in of itself and it purifies other than it so, um, and what, what type of water is this? How do we define Tuhur? What's that? Original condition, Naam. That's, that's the best condition so far. Something, something a bit more, something a bit more specific though. In it's original condition, but why? What's the first? What's the first we mentioned in the chapter? What is it? What's the first thing that's mentioned in the book? Uh, it remains in the way that it's created. So I now the brother there's a brother mentioned in his original state, which is correct, but specifically I referring it back to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, no doubt was the Khaliq, that the water remains in its state that it's been created in, right? And so an example of that is what kind of water? Sea water. Now, I'm the water is in the, main, in the same state it's been created. Now, sea water, the water of the well, rainwater. Now, 
Jayud. Then we have a Najis, which is what? What is a Ma'at Najis? Impure water. Naam. So can it be used to uh, purify? No, because it's impure in, in, in reality. So these are the, two, if you say two types. If you were to say three types, what's the, what's the third type? Ma'at-Tahir. Naam. And what's the definition of Ma'at-Tahir? It's a pure of itself, but it doesn't purify. Right? And quickly, why do some people not include this as a type of water? Because it's not water in reality, how elaborate? No, because it's something that has, has essentially has changed. No, so something has, something has been added to it to change one of its properties, smell, taste, colour, and so it's no longer regarded as being water. No. Uh, now, so this was the, the three types of water. Thereafter, we mentioned as well that um, when it comes to the water, if it is made up of kullatain, what do we say kullatain was? 108 pounds in which measurement? Dimishriye. Naam, and that comes up to, you said, you said in kilograms, 1.85 kilograms. Now, and so if it's this amount, and uh, we were deliberating afterwards about how much it is, and I think it was good deliberating a lesson as well. I probably gave a good example of the wheelie bins. Now, and this is more or less a, a, a similar amount. So these two two containers that come up to that amount, this is what is regarded as being that. So if, it, if it's this amount, or it is um, flowing water, any running water, then it is not regarded as being uh, najis. If, but what we're referring to is if najasa, so impurity falls into that water, it's no longer it's not regarded as being impure. The water itself. Now is that clear, Khwa? Except for what though? When would it be? When would it be regarded as being impure? If one of the three properties changed, what would one of the three properties be? It's color now, Jade. Colors. Going on to today, then we have the mentioning of the author, Rahimahullah, which is either Shaka Fitahur or Fitahara till Ma already on a Jasati Bana Alal Yakin. When Ukhufia molded and Najasa, Minathob already, Rasla Maya Yakan be here, Rasla Ha. And so First and foremost, if there's doubt, naam, if there's some form of doubt in regards to the tahara of the mat, whether it's pure or whether it's not pure, then we act upon that which is certain. We act upon that which is certain. Naam. And this is based upon the principle, which is al yakin that certainty is not removed by doubt. Certainty is not removed by doubt. So if we're talking about the water now, and we have this principle in mind, then the water, if the water is pure, and then you're not sure if some impurity entered into the water, 
right? Then is that your water? Is that water still pure or not? You're not sure. It's impure. Now, because you have doubt, that was you're certain about is that it was pure. The fact that impurity may have entered in it, that's that's so that's what you have uncertainty about. So now you do not remove that affair of certainty by way of that which is now doubtful. Now, likewise, opposite is true as well. That you know this water is impure, but then you have some sort of feeling or inkling that it may be pure actually. But you knew before it was impure. Then you act upon that which is certain that it is impure. Naam. And so this is based again, as we mentioned, based upon the principle that certainty is not removed by doubt. Thereafter, it mentions as well that if it is doubted or is unknown where the impurity is exactly or which part of the impurity is, is, is found the person has doubts in relation to where it is then they wash that which is they are certain there is impurity they wash the part where they are certain impurity naam and so as mentioned here so they wash until they have the certainty that the impurity has been removed now they wash until they have the certainty that impurity has been removed does that make sense thereafter it mentions and so if a person has water or the water is resembling and the person is not sure whether this water is, is clean well, this water is impure. They just they're not unsure of the two. And there's there's a, a clear or there's a um, a strong resemblance between the two. Then in this scenario, and he doesn't know. In this scenario, he leaves off both forms of water. He leaves off both forms of water, and he makes tayammum. Naam, because he's not sure which one is which one is pure. He's not sure which one is pure. And one of them cannot be used at, at all. The one that's nejis cannot be used at all. So, for example, if he's in a scenario and ends up making wudu, for example, with the one which is nejis, then it's as if he hadn't made wudu in the first place. So, the person, of course, in this scenario, is as if the ma is ma'dum. In this scenario, it's as if the water is not present at all. Naam, as if the water is not present at all. And so thus, he makes tayammum. Because if the water, there's no water present, the person makes tayammum. Then you have the scenario where the water, it is either, or you have water which is tohor, and you have tahir. Naam. And you're not sure which of the two. Which one's the tohor, which is the tahir. 
then here Ibn Khudama mentions Tawadda'a min kulli wahid minhuma that the person makes the wudu with each of them Naam he makes the wudu with each of them and Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah he mentions the hikmah behind this is that if he makes wudu with each of them then he knows that he's going to be the same Tahara because nothing's going to Nothing's going to cause him to be impure. Is that clear? Is the two scenario, are the two scenarios clear? So you have one scenario where you have Tuhur and Nejis. So you have water which is Tuhur and you have this one which is Nejis. Okay? Why can't you just say with this example, make, make with both? Because the I'm saying an example where the one is one is pure and one is nejis. Why can't you say in this scenario we're going to make wudu with both and then at least you're going to make wudu with the tuhur eventually? No. And then exactly because you could end up being in a scenario where you make wudu with that which is tuhur. First, and so you're in the state of Tahara, and then you use the Nijis after that, and then dirty yourself. Naam, and call, maybe call Najasa to, to enter your, your clothing or the likes of that, wherever you are. So then you've, end, you've, you've, you've cleansed yourself, you've purified yourself, and then after that, impurified yourself. So then because of this, you leave both forms of water because you're not sure which one is which. In the second scenario, though, you have Tahor and you have Tahir. So, even if we were to say that water is of two types, then what we understand from that is that we have mat which is tohor, we have one which is actual water, and you have another liquid which is pure, but, and it resembles water, but we don't know if it's water or not. Naam, in this scenario, Ibn Khudayim mentions that you make the wudu using the both. Because in this scenario, you're going to purify yourself eventually. As Ibn Shaykh al-Islam mentions, that the hikmah with this is that you're going to eventually purify yourself. In the, fir in the first example, you might, not, you, you might not purify yourself. You might not end up in a state of purity. And of course as well, you're going to use water which, is, which can't be used anywhere because it's nejis. In the second example though, you'll be going, you're using something which can be used anyway. Right? And eventually you'll be in a state of purity. And so this is the, the hikmah that is mentioned by Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah. Does that make sense? Now, Jayim. Thereafter, you have the mentioning of the ghusl of the the ghusl of the, the kalb of making the wudu or the ghusl from the najasa of the kalb of the dog and the khinzir. And so, hereafter you have the mention of the washing from the dog. The washing of the dog. So the washing from the dog is mentioned and then you have the mention of the seven times, the washing of it being seven times and 
This is due to the hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Narrated by Abu Huraira Radiallahu Anhu He mentions إِذَا شَرِبَ كَلْبِ فِئِنَا أَحَدِكُمْ فَيَكْسِلُهُ سَبْعَةً So if the dog eats in the, in the, the vessel utensil of one of yourselves then you should wash it seven times Naam. thereafter as well you have the narration in Muslim where mentions tuhura ila ahadikum ida walaga fihi kalb al yaksilahu sabah marat ulahuna biturab and if the the, the, the utensils of one of yourselves or your utensils are to hold, they're pure. And if the dog was to lick it, then for you is to, upon you is to wash it seven times. And one of those times being with the earth using the Torah. So, what we understand from this is that no doubt the washing. The washing of the of the utensil is not specific just to utensils, but it's the washing of anything where the dog has licked. Thereafter, we have the masala of and the question of whether does it mean now if the dog is has licked it, then the washing must be done, or if the dog touches it, merely touches it. Does the washing have to be done? Is the question clear? He said, he said the licking. Now, so some say, some of the scholars they say, it's the lick, it's the licking, and so it's the it's what is the najasa, najasa that which occurs is from the saliva of the dog, Naam, due to the licking. Whilst other scholars they say it's the whole body. Naam, if the dog touches, so if the dog touches anything, then it causes a najasa. Those that say that it's the whole body, from Ahlul Ilm, that mention it's the whole body, they mention it's the whole body, why? Because they say that the mouth is the ashraf, and the most uh, noble, honorable part of the dog. The most honorable part of the dog. And so, if this is regarded as being impure, if this is regarded as being impure, then anything that is lower than that or lesser than that must be impure. Does that make sense? They say that the, the, the tongue or the mouth is the most honorable part of the dog. And so, anything that is lesser than that is going to be impure. If the most honorable part is impure, then anything lesser than that is going to be impure. And others say no, that the hadith mentions the licking specifically and so because the hadith mentions licking specifically then we understand from that that this is what has to be done because the messenger of Allah did not mention licking or mention anything other than that from the or the touching of the dog that if the dog touches whatever then make then wash seven times and Allah knows best this is the stronger of the two first reasons as mentioned because the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he mentions that the fact that if the dog licks, if the dog licks in, in the, um, the utensil. 
that's the first thing that's mentioned. The second thing, the second reason, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best if we can say that the tongue and the mouth is the most ashraf part of the dog. Now, if we can say that this is the most noble part of the dog. The reason why, do you know what the reason why they say it's the most noble part of the dog? But why does God say that the, the mouth is the most noble part of the dog? Why? Because they don't have clean they don't clean themselves, you mean? <coughs> now that's one reason. They so they make khiyas with the sujood that the most noble part of the person is their face. So the face is likewise for the dog. Not necessarily that. What's the what's the what's the, the least noble part of the dog? Let's say then. What's the, the least most the, the least noble part of the dog? The backside, the backside or the private area. So they was they said anything that is as far from that part as possible is going to be as noble. And so then they said because of that, this is the most noble part. But because there's there's uh, there's nothing which is qat'i, specific delir to say that this is the most noble part of the dog. So this is the only part which is um, which is going to be, uh, or this is the only this this is this the whole dog now needs to be regarded as being nejus. Then because of that, we take the hadith upon that which is apparent. And that which is apparent is that he's referring to the licking of the dog and the saliva of the dog. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But this is, uh, but we can't, we can't act upon um, that which is that which is not. So, but it's, it's not, it's not something which is 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 vahir. Uh, As you mentioned, they, you have to act upon that which is yakin before now. So the yakin is upon that which we we can see. If we don't know that the, the, the najas is there, we can't say the najas is upon the the, the dog. Mafalan. No. Ola. No, but then it doesn't necessarily mean that the whole of the dog is nejus. This doesn't necessarily mean that the whole of the dog is nejus. No, there's nothing. There's nothing mentioned in the whole of the dog is nejus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, exactly not good. So, and thereafter it mentions that any after any other than the jasad. So when it comes to the washing the dog or the, the the saliva of the dog, then it's washed seven times. Now, and we say it's washed seven times because it's mentioned specifically in the narration. Now, and thereafter, any other form of najasa, any other form of impurity, then this is regarded as being, or this could, the, this is clean by way of the washing of it three times. Now, the washing of that. Three times. And this is based upon the hadith of the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, where he mentions, إِذَا قَامَ أَحَدَكُمْ مِن نَوْمِهِ فَلَا يُدْخِلْ يَدَهُ فِي الْإِنَاءِ حَتَّى يَقْسِلَهَا ثَلَاثًا فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَدْرِ أَيْنَ بَاتَتْ يَدُهُ So, this is based upon the hadith of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 
where he mentions that if one of you goes to sleep, or one of you wakes up from sleep rather, then they should not place their hand within the utensil, within the vessel, until they've washed their hands three times. Naam, for indeed he does not know where his hands have been throughout the night. Now, while he's sleeping throughout the night. So, what we understand from this is that when we generally want to remove any form of najasa, it was mentioned here, that when you want to remove any form of impurity, that you do so by washing off three times. Now, based upon this narration. However, it is okay and this is sufficient that if you was to pour water upon the direct spot of the impurity and the impurity goes, then this now is sufficient as well. Naam, this is now sufficient. And this is due to the hadith of the Messenger of Allah and so where it mentions the Messenger of Allah وسلم, commanded to pour نعم, pour water upon the spot where the Bedouin, the Arabi urinated in the masjid, pour the water over it so that the, the impurity is removed. Now is it clear? So, if we're talking now about removing impurity, then there are different ways to remove impurity, just based on what we just mentioned. So, you have one which is specific, which is the dog. So, when it comes to the dog, you remove the impurity by doing what? Washing seven times. Reason why we say seven times, or specifically seven times, because it's mentioned within the hadith and the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Naam, the seven times. Thereafter, you have the washing of the um, anything, uh, anything outside of that, anything other than that. And we say how many times? Three times, and that's due to what? The hadith, which is. When a person wakes up, that they wash their hands before entering the hands into any utensils. And is it sufficient for them to do what as well? If they don't wash it three times, it's sufficient for them to do what? Pour water over that. Naam. Pour water over it. Thereafter, I mentioned where. So first and foremost it mentioned that it is sufficient now for when it comes to the um the urination, the urine of the child, the male child. Now, when it comes to the urine of the male child that does not eat, has not eaten, or not, doesn't eat regularly, 
Yeah, so it's eating from food regularly. So it's basically the breastfeeding male child. And likewise, the medi, like the pre-seminal, the pre the the pre-seminal uh, fluid. And likewise, anything from um, a small amount of blood or um, nah, blood or vomit and likes of that. It's permissible that the person sprinkles water over that. Nah, they sprinkle water over that. So the first thing that is permissible to now nah, so the one that sprinkle the sprinkle water over the male the male that is uh breastfeeding essentially breastfeeding the male child and likewise the pre seminal fluid why do we say here question for you why do we say that it's for the the sprinkling of the water is for the male child. We don't say female child. This is the gulam. Is it clear the question? We say the male child. When we say the male child, we want to remove the, the impurity from the male child that the male child urinates. We sprinkle water. The female child though, we don't say that. First of all, what do we do with the female child if the, if the female child urinates? And why? Why is there a difference? You wash, you wash the clothes of the female child three times. So if you, get, if, if you want to, essentially you want to purify it. So it might be on you, it might be in the place where you're praying. Then why, so why did the differentiate from the woman or for the female child? Okay. Benefit me. Something to do about the water urine itself. I shall laugh about this it's pretty much wider. Not about chemicals, but if we go back to um, something mentioned by uh, Sheikh um, Sheikh Abdullah Bukhari, if you understand the composition of or just the, the general understanding of males and the creation of males. Males essentially were created from whom? Or, for, or come from whom? Adam alayhi salam. Adam alayhi salam was created from what? From Naam Teen. Naam? With me so far? Females essentially come from whom? From who? The rib, the rib, lamb, and the rib is made up of 
bone flesh. So the asal is not just a teen. The asal is made up of a teen and also the flesh and the dam. So when it comes to the male, the male, I the, the child that is that has just been born, he uh, he comes from the Adam salam and it's understood that he is from Ayatin. It's something which can be washed with ease. Whilst when it comes to the woman, then he, the woman is, as we mentioned, is created from the rib. From the rib, nam. And so thus, because of that, the composition of anything that maybe is emitted from her is different. And is made up not just from the teen, but also that of the blood or the, the, the bones, which is the rib itself. And so this is why some of Ahlul they mentioned that there's this difference between the two. Now they said that there's this difference between the two. So the blood of the male, as we say, is um, you sprinkled upon, whilst the blood of the female, it you pour the water upon it. They said you pour the water upon any other impurity. Now, is that clear? Likewise, it was it mentions in Mevi. And you have Al-Mahdi, which is the pre-seminal fluid, pre-seminal fluid. And some mention now, however, that it should be washed as well. So some say you can sprinkle, some say you can wash. And they say you can wash, why? Because the Prophet ﷺ commanded with washing the private parts. I commanded washing away any impurity from the private part. And this is found in Mawatta, uh, um, this narration, where he commanded with the washing of the private part. And that this particular, uh, in this particular narration, it does come, it is um, compared to the bowl. It's compared to the urination as well, the urine. And also it is compared to the many. Now I'm the, the actual semen itself, and it's compared to that due to the fact that both forms of liquid both leave the private part due to any shahwa, due to desire. And so Allah knows best that the stronger of the two opinions is that it's not that it's sprinkled upon, but it is washed away just as you wash away anything else as well. The sprinkling is specifically if we're talking about the urine of the male child. Now the urine of the male child, I, that is only breastfeeding. Now anything outside of that, then you pour water upon it. Anything outside of that, you pour water upon it. And thereafter, it mentions where many, where many al Adami, where bowl ma yukal lahmuhu tahir. So you have the many, I said, the semen of the male, the human male. 
this is regarded as being tired, it's regarded, it's regarded as being pure. And the proof for this is the hadith Mutafakan Ali is the hadith we should agree upon. The hadith of Aisha anha, where she would scrape the remnants of the many, the seam of the Prophet from his garment. Now she should remove it like that, scrape the remnants of it off his garment. And so what we understand from that is that it's regarded as being tuhur or tahir rather, sorry. Why? She didn't pour water over it. Naam, barakulafikum. She didn't pour water over it. And so the reason why they say that it's tahir, they don't know the reason why they say it's tahir. Why is many Tahir. Why? Limada. Naam. Naam. Because essentially we're created from it. Essentially we have been created from the many. And so because of that, it is resembling, it resembles the team. It goes back to resembling the teen which we've been created from as well. And no doubt, Atin is Tahir. Sahih? Atin is Tahir. So anything that we've been created from, then it will be regarded as being Tahir. Naam. And then finally, it mentions as well, وَبَوْلْ مَا يُؤْكَلْ لَحْمُهُ Tahir. And so, the urine of anything, or the thing that we, where we eat its meat, the urine of the of anything that we eat is meat, then we understand that it's tahir as well. So if we can eat his meat, if it's missable to eat the meat of the animal, then the urine of it is tahir. Why? Because the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is narrated in the hadith as well, Mutafakan Alayh and Bukhari Muslim, where he commanded the drinking of the urine of the camel as well as drinking from its uh, from its milk and so if he if this, uh, this this urine of the camel for example was nejis then he would not command of drinking it now so I sell them we don't command of drinking it so I sell them likewise as well he saw I mentions Sallu fi marabid al-ghanam. I perform the salah in the pen of the ghanam. I the, the, the sheep and the cattle. So you can perform the salah in, the, in their pen. Where they're held. This is the command of the Messenger of Allah. So no doubt. What you're going to find from that. Is you're going to find. The, the, um, the remnants. Of these animals in these pens, so he commands with the with the with the, the praying or saying that you can, or saying that you can or permitting the prayer in this particular place. Naam, 
However, we are, someone might say, but he did not permit the prayer in the pen of the camel. Naam. So then what would you say in response to that then? If you say but the, the reason why it's permissible, or the reason why should we say that it's tired, that which comes from the animals that we can eat, is because um, the Prophet said, and permitted for us to pray in the pen of the goats and the sheep. Naam. However, someone may say, but what about the camels? He did not permit us to pray in the, um, the pens of the camels. Rather, he prohibited it. So I said. The shurut. Uh, the shurut are different. But then how does it, would you now say that it's, it's tahir? Because the whole, remember the whole discussion about it being tired. It's related to the character. No. It's related to the character. But then it said, why is the character like that? Sometimes it's created for fire, which Lana's is not, is not the, the asah. Something about their pen. They have the pen. The shetin surround the pen of the camels. So if the shetin surround the pen of the, of the pen of the camel, this is why you have the prohibition. Now the prohibition is not because of the urine of the camel. We know it's not because of the urine of the camel. Why? Because we have the narration where the Prophet commanded with drinking the urine of the camel. So we know it's not because of the urine of the camel. But we know that it's because of the surroundings of that of the pen of the camel. I surrounded by shayateen. However, this is not the case of the of the pen of the uh, of the ghanam, the sheep, the goats, the likes of that. So, because of that, we say that the meat or the rather the urine of the of these uh, of these animals are permissible. The urine of these animals is permissible. Now, does it make sense? Jayat. Well, thereafter, we have the next chapter, which is Bab, Bab al Ania. So, the, the chapter ref pertaining to the utensils. Chapter pertaining to the utensils. I will just mention the first part of this, the first masala relation to this. Is la yujuz istimal anat al dhahab al fidda fi taharatin, wala ghairiha li kauli Rasulillahi sallallahu alaihi wasallam la tashrabu fi anat al dhahab wal fidda, wala taakulu fi sihafiha. Inaha lahum or inaha lahum fi dunya wa lahum fi akhira. And this is in relation to the to the to the utensils made from gold and silver. 
And this is based upon the hadith of the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he mentions that do not... So first of all, the, the chapter begins by mentioning that it's not permissible. It's not permissible to use the utensils from gold and silver for purification or anything other than that. So you can't use it to purify yourself and you can't use it for anything outside of that as well. And this is due to the hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He mentions, do not drink from the utensils of gold and silver. And do not eat from the utensils as well, from the plates of them. For indeed, they are for them in the dunya and for us in the akhirah. I them referring to who? Ahlul Kitab, generally speaking. So that these utensils are not for us in the dunya and akhirah, or in the dunya rather. Rather, these utensils are for us in the akhirah. Now, and likewise, you have the narration of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, where mentions "Elidi yashub fi aniyat al dhahab wal fidda, inna ma yujjuru fi batnihi nar jahannam." Wajad billah. So says, as for the one that drinks in the utensil of gold and silver. Indeed, that which will swirl around within his stomach or enter within his stomach, swirl around within his stomach is the fire of Jahannam. And so, with this narration is the threat of the nar, of the fire. And no doubt, this is a clear indication of its tahrim. It's a clear indication of the of his, the fact that it's haram. For indeed the person is Naam. The person that is eating or drinking from this, this is the threat upon them. This is the threat upon them. <laughs> Likewise, you have another narration as well, which mentions the harir, the silk, and the dibaj, which is a form, which is a form of silk as well, where it mentions the Prophet ﷺ stated, and the Prophet ﷺ stated, do not wear silk or dibaj, and this is a form of silk as well. And do not drink in the utensils of gold and silver do not eat from the plates and the utensils or from the, these utensils as well for indeed it is for them in the dunya it, believe, it belongs to those who disbelieve in the dunya and it's for you in the akhirah naam and so with this no doubt is a, is a clear tahrim with this is a clear prohibition of the one uh, taking and using these particular utensils 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best and will conclude here, inshallah. Ikhwan, barakallahu fikum. Wa jazakum wallahu khaira. Wa sallallahu wa barak ala nabina Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Okay. These questions. The first one, can you, can you do the traveler's prayer if you're praying rent in a different country? If you're on a plane and the time for Asr is leaving, are you supposed to pray Asr on a plane? Or can you delay it until you get off the plane? Potentially Margaret might come in if you wait. So, the first, the first one in relation to the traveller's prayer, then a lot of the affair of the traveller and the state of the traveller goes back to the urf, what is understood to, well, when it's understood that a person is a traveller and a person is in that state of travelling. So, if a person now... He's paying rent in a different country, and this will suggest that he has a home in a different country. So, if he has a home in that country, and he's living in that country, then this is his home, and so he's no longer a traveller. It cannot be said he's a traveller if he is paying rent to live in a particular place. I.e., he has a home. Now, and, it's, and of course, this is an affair which is again goes back to the earth. It goes back to what is understood and what is what is. Uh, generally accepted by the people. Now, so an example of that would be, of course, in this day and age, a person may be staying in what is, uh, what's this thing called? Airbnb. Now, so it's a home, essentially. However, it's generally understood, if you're staying in this place, even though it's not a hotel, it's generally understood that it's mu'akkad. It's, uh, it's something which is it's very temporary. And so you wouldn't take the, the ruling of the one that is staying in a place that they're resident in. But if they're paying rent now, then this, this is a clear indication of residency. Residency, generally speaking, is of two types. Either you're a homeowner or you're a renter. So if you're of one of these two types, then it's understood that you have residency in that particular property. So it wouldn't be said now that you're a traveller if you've now taken up uh, residency in that particular property. Now... That's the first thing. The second question, I think it closed, but I think it was uh, regarding the, the, the Salat or the Asr. If the person is praying and they, they're about to, um, if they're on the plane and the Asr is leaving. So if they're on the plane and the time of Asr is about to, to, to come out, then no doubt they pray on the plane. They pray on the plane. Because that which takes precedence is that they pray the Salat in its time. And so, if for whatever reason, they're able to pray facing the Qibla, standing and all the rest of that, then of course that's takes precedence. Hence why you fly Saudi Airlines. Now, if you're not able to stand, and you're not able to face the Qibla, then you do whatever you can to the best of your abilities. You may have, if they tell you, you have to pray in your seat, then pray in your seat. And you sit down and you pray whichever direction you're going. However, uh, that would say presence that you pray on this time. Another example of that is that say if a person, he, um, same example let's say, is close to the end of Asr time, but he has no water. And he's well aware that by the time he gets to water, it will be Maghrib. What does he do? He makes Tayammum. Because play, praying in, this, in the time takes precedence at that particular in that particular scenario. Well, he's not able to make tayammum. 
If he's not able to make tayammum for whatever reason, then he prays anyway. Naam, he prays anyway. Based upon the ayah, لَا يُكَلِّفُ اللَّهُ نَفْسًا إِلَّا وُسَعَهَا Or the ayah where Allah Ta'ala mentioned, فَتَّقَ اللَّهَ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ And you fear Allah as much as you're able. So if a person now, for whatever reason, not able to get to the water before the salah time, until the salah time ends, as well as the fact that he's not able to get to the water and he's not able to make, make tayammum as well for whatever reason, then he performs the salah anyway. And so this is a clear indication that poor performing the salah in its, in its correct time takes precedence over these scenarios. So in the same, this example now, the person he's traveling and he's not able to maybe stand because he's on a plane. And sometimes they, they don't allow you to stand on a plane. Or, for example, he's not able to face the Qibla, just based on the direction he's going. And so in this scenario, he prays in the best way, in the, in the best way possible. Again, again, based upon these two ayat. Naam, the ayatain. Fatukallah must have to fear Allah as much as you're able. As well as the ayah, La yukallifullah, la yukallifullah nafsan illa And Allah Ta'ala does not burn the soul more than it can bear. Wallahu a'ala. Now, so there's, there's a different uh, narration that mentions how the surrounding of the camel is uh, the, the camel's uh, pen surrounded by the shayateen. And this is why you have the uh, the prohibition, first of all, the prohibition of praying in the plane. Secondly, this is an, um, part of the explanation as to why the camel carries a particular uh, attitude, I guess, or a particular um, way of dealing, carrying itself. And this is a, another reason as to, or another explanation as to why the meat of the camel requires you to make wudu after. Now, so even though the narration mentions specifically that once the, the, the camel meat, the person eats from the camel meat, you perform wudu after, the understanding from that is due to the nature of the camel. Because it's generally what's understood as well is that people may adopt some of the characteristics of that, the meat that we should eat. They say in this country you always eat, huh? and so it's something which is is some something which is which is actually mentioned amongst Ahlul Ilm. This particular concept. <laughs> so it's uh, people take up a particular characteristic of what they eat. So if they are eating from the camels, for example, and then it's understood that you may take from those characteristics. So. It's understood due to that the person makes wudu. Well, the characters are like that because they are share, they are surrounded by the shayateen. Extinguish wow. the fire now. Exactly. Exactly. In relation to the Quran itself, then it should always be paid attention to. That's everything. Everything in terms of our deen and just our our living. We we should take we should take the main objectives from these things for anything we anything we're using. So the main objective of the Quran is there to be listened to and to be pondered upon, and pondered upon the ayat and to be uh, to benefit from, and as well seek uh, seek some form of ilaj from it as well, seek some form of treatment and uh, cure from it if if uh, with permission of Allah if needs be. So 
it's not something which should be used and it's not understood that it should ever be used to be in the background to what we're doing. Now, so if a person, for example, they're listening to it whilst they're doing something else, but they're listening to it, then this is this is not an issue. But if they are they have it just they have the Quran in the background just to fill the if, that void if that if you like. There's no they don't they don't feel like there's any sort of sound in the house they want to hear Quran. They want they want to hear Quran playing. And they generally like the the sound of listening to Quran. Which is good. However, the main objective of the one that listens to listen to Quran is to ponder upon the ayat and benefit from the ayat. Even now, if a person doesn't understand the Arabic, it doesn't it doesn't necessitate that the person is not able to ponder upon the fact that this is the kalam of Allah. Now I'm listening to it and ponder and understand this is the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is Munazil in the Allah. This has been revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then likewise as well, if the person ponders upon it in that way and they recognize they don't understand all of the words, they don't understand what Allah is revealing to the Muslims directly. Now, this is this can also be a means of encouragement and a drive for them to learn Arabic and to get to that point where they understand. So this may not happen if it's something which is playing in the background. And it's something, it's almost like a comfort. Because there's no, there's no, uh, no uh, tarqiz, there's no concentration in that regard. And so when there's lack of concentration, there's going to, there's going to be lack of focus. If the person lacks the focus, then they're going to lack that um, pondering when it comes to these ayat. Whether they understand the ayat or not, you can always ponder upon them. Now, generally speaking, when it comes to uh, um, listening to Quran or playing Quran, then it shouldn't be played or listened or, or yeah, played where it's almost rivaled by something else. So it's rivaled with something which is sharf. Now, so for example, you may find that some people, uh, you know, due to not having a correct understanding, if you like, they hear people playing music. And order to drown out their music, they play Quran. Now, this shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be a case of the, that it's used to write the, 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 the words of Allah, and the Kalam of Allah, and the Quran, and the, this, uh, these ayat are used to rival that which is the shadow which is coming from the people. And that's not the hadith behind listening to Quran. That's not the goal behind listening to Quran. So, based on what you mentioned there, is, is in terms of the person must attain the goal to listen, listen to Quran. And not use it as something to rival something that comes from the, those that are not really dead, those that are not Muslim. Barakallahu alaykum. Sallallahu wa barak ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam.